Hey, it's the Film File. It's episode 71. If you're a film geek, then you're in the company of two more film geeks. And here we are, back again for another Film File. I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Beacon. And welcome to episode 71, where anything can happen. Andy, how are you, my friend? I'm in really good spirits, although I, I am tell. very exhausted because um, we open this coming Friday and we've had a refit going on, which is why we're opening later than other UK cinemas. And I'll say that it's stressful because the refit seems to be, you know, when you get a few days from towards the end of opening and you realise, I hope that they know what they're doing, because at this <laughs> point in time, I can't see how this is going to work. But. I've seen this happen before with other refits and I've seen it. It's literally right to the knuckle. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we're ready. So we're stressed. We're stretched thin and working a lot. Uh, regular viewers of the video versions of these shows. Um, one person has at least messaged me uh, to say, well, there's been no video for the past few weeks. And yes, that's because of two things. First of all, episode 69, unfortunately, tech issues meant that the videos hadn't encoded properly. Oh, I wasn't aware so of that. But that's how much interest I pay in our show. <laughs> um, and last week's one is sat there ready for me to edit. And it's only literally a 15-minute job to edit the video bits together. But I can't find the time. I'm wow, really that's stretched. That's a long thin. time since I've heard you say that. But it's great. It's that kind of. I've got that kind of exhaustion going on, where it's the good kind of exhaustion because it's because everything's getting back to normal, and I'm enthusiastic, and I can't wait for the cinema experience again. And speaking to some of the regular um, listeners and also some of the regular customers from my job over the past week as we're getting ready to open, and it's great to see that kind of enthusiasm coming back. It's absolutely marvellous. We're so ready, though, aren't we? I mean, when we had that, that window of opportunity late last year and, and you and I caught as many films, including New Mutants, uh, that we yep. could, and we, we packed it out with always with on the back burner kind of knowing that, that the bubble might burst. And, and of course it did. And let's hope this time it doesn't. But I, I, I'm certainly I'm starting to, to etch in now the films that I want to catch up with that are coming out. And it's a it's a. It's quite a good-looking schedule. I mean, Peter Rabbit, we've talked about opening. Uh, Saw, uh, that's another one. Quiet Place, uh, Part 2. Uh, there's the new Conjuring movie. Yep. It's 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 good to not only be there's, back... There's so much. ...but back with some good-looking product as well. So, colour me excited. And it's been great looking at the... Because UK cinemas in general have been open for the first, for the first week back. And they're off to a decent start. Over £7 million worth of box office over the past week, with Peter Rabbit 2 taking £5 million of that. That bodes well for the whole market. International markets are seeing similar returning numbers, and it's only the US that seems to be struggling. But it's great for us because it means that going forward, we can start to get to review some cinema releases as opposed to just the streaming releases. And indeed, one of my reviews today is... A current cinema release. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait for that. So on this week's show, we've got the news, of course. Andy and I will both be reviewing Army of the Dead. We've got a deep dive into the John Cusack classic, High Fidelity, and we'll be giving you all the news what's happening across the streaming services. But first, let's kick off with Andy Meakin, the private investigator to the stars, investigating all the news, <laughs> all the gossip, all the suggestions. In this segment, we simply call 
the news. So last week we mentioned that there was rumours about Amazon buying out MGM. There was indeed. That seems to be more or less confirmed. And just today, more breaking news that it looks like it's going through for the $9 billion price tag, which sounds like a huge amount. Indeed, it's above what the industry had given the worth for MGM. But it's a it's a good deal for Amazon overall for what they get. But rumblings of concerns came from the potential buyout that it might impact on proposed cinema releases for MGM that were up and coming, which includes a certain, uh, well, he's been delayed so many times, uh, he'll never say never again. It's uh, Mr. Bond. Yes. Well, I've, I've, uh, I've had a feeling that you would uh, start with this story and I did a bit of a read upon it. And, and it seems as though that concern isn't really concerning Amazon at all. Yeah, it's it, even though there'll be a lot of legalities going on and the passing over of details and taking ownership of things, they're not intending to impact on any of the currently scheduled planned releases. So that means that Bond is still on. So is Respect, which is due out on August the 13th. Adam's Family sequel, October the 1st. No Time to Die is October the 8th. House of Gucci on November the 26th. And Joe Wright's Serrano and P.T. Anderson's as yet untitled new films around the Christmas period. Any other films that were not currently on the projection schedule may be delayed or may be up in the air as to whether they're going to get cinematic release or Amazon will use them to entice customers to come and subscribe to Amazon Prime. So everything that already had a date, even though the ones around Christmas already said around December, they said around December, so they're sticking to it. But everything else is off the table at this point in time until the deal's gone through. Good news. I think it will only only be a help to the industry. And I think that that synchronicity between the streaming services and the movie uh, movie studios can only benefit each other. And as we've said many, many times yeah. before, you, you're eventually going to get to that stage that what's better, Amazon owning MGM and having the cinema chain that hopefully they'll that will go with it or MGM deciding on opening its own streaming service, which we've said countless times now, I was only get to the stage where it becomes awkward because somebody is not going to end It's a crowded paying. market. It is, absolutely. Um, speaking of Amazon, uh, the film adaptation of the hit musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie has been snapped up by Amazon and will air on Amazon Prime on September the 17th. Now, this is a bit of a disappointment because this was a planned cinema release back end of last year, which had got put forward to, it was due out next month, I believe, eventually. Yes, it was. And now yeah. it's come completely off the release schedule. For those who don't know about this phenomenon of this musical, because really, have you been under a rock? It was been huge. Uh, the the musical has been... A... Unless you've been under the rock. That's a completely different film. You could have been film. under the rock. <laughs> yeah. And there's news about him later on. The story of every, everybody's talking about Jamie. You're so getting so good at these segues now, Andy. <laughs> These segues are so good now, you'll get more about The Rock later. This is why he's a professional, folks. The story of um, Everybody's Talking About Jamie follows a 16-year-old gay British teen named, funnily enough, Jamie, who has ambition to be a drag queen, but he has to overcome the prejudice and the bullying in order to fulfil his dreams. Max Harwood is playing Jamie with Sarah Lancashire, Lauren Patel, Adil Akhtar and Richard E. Grant, Samuel Bottomley and much more providing very able support. Now, the big shame about this, and we're based in Sheffield, we will state that here. We've said it many times. We are based in Sheffield and so is everybody's talking about Jamie. It was filmed in Sheffield. It's Sheffield based story. This would have been a huge release at the cinema's 
particularly in the Yorkshire area, but it would have been huge across all the UK because when the musical West End production was screened, cinemas couldn't put it on enough screens or show it enough times. It was a phenomenon. And it is a shame that this is bypassing cinemas. We are hoping that Amazon will go, you know what? We'll give a cinema exclusive for a week or two before it comes out. But Amazon very rarely dip their toe in that water. But maybe the proposed merger with MGM might change their mind on that. It, now, it's interesting you brought this story up because it has been uh, it's been one of those stories that's had a lot of conversations in our household. My other half, she saw the stage version, absolutely loved it. She has been asking me for, for weeks, nay, months, if not since the film started production, mm. can I go and see this at the, at the cinema? Uh, and I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain. She was kind of gutted to know it went to Amazon. I'm surprised... Maybe it's the crowded market. I don't know that they thought it would get overlooked on on entry back into the cinema. And I'm, 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 maybe they've earned just more money from Amazon than they would have predicted doing a box office. We don't know if it's going to get a premiere release, so you're going to have to pay for it on Amazon, or it's going to go to a free streaming. Uh, a couple of questions that still need answering. But I am I am genuinely surprised. On a, on a small note. I remember coming to see a midnight show at your cinema and they were filming just across the block part of this movie yep. that particular evening. So it, it is a um, it is important, I guess, to Sheffield. But I am I am, you know, I've got my uh, reservations as to why they pulled this trick. Is it is it timing? Is it more money from Amazon? I just don't know. I'd be intrigued to know. Same as yourself. When I've been going into work, I've seen them filming on the more shopping area as well as other areas of Sheffield that have passed through. And yeah, it's felt like I've, even though I've not been part of it, it's felt that because it's been filmed so locally that it is part of what we are in Sheffield. And that's why it's disappointing that we won't get to have that experience. Now, something that won't bypass cinemas is the Eternals. And boy, am I glad that this is going to stick the cinema landing because have you seen the trailer that landed yesterday? Uh, I did. I saw the drop. I think it came as a, a bit like Shang-Chi. came as a bit of a surprise. I went to my usual sort of news sources and there it was waiting for me. I didn't expect it to be out. It was a, it was a lot of a surprise. It's a, it was an interesting, well, it's a teaser. It's much more of a teaser than the Shang-Chi one, which was felt like a, for a teaser, was a pretty much a, a full trailer, which gave a lot away. This didn't. This is to set the tone. Yeah, this is to set the tone, introduce the characters, introduce the premise. It didn't introduce uh, the uh, antagonists in it. You don't know who they're battling. You don't know what the elements were. I've seen some quite snobby responses to it saying, we don't know what this film's about. They haven't shown uh, the bad guys, which is some characters called the Deviants. We don't know how this fits into Thanos and the Snap. What were they doing while the, you know, it's a teaser. Wait and see the film to reveal all of those facts. But don't try and deduce everything <laughs> from a, a, a 40 second teaser at this stage. You know, I'm not going to go down that route now, but it does annoy me when you want everything spoiled for you and given away. But to get on to the positive, it looks great. And of course, it was going to look great. I'm intrigued so as to sure. where it's going. It, it looks big. It looks bold. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Chloe Zhao won the Oscar this year uh, for Nomadland. And she's brought some of that beautiful imagery Aesthetic, of landscapes yeah. to a Marvel film. And it looks amazing. And it looks very different to other things that Marvel have done. Now, 
for those who don't know who the Eternals are, you have to really be, I mean, even a lot of comic book nerds don't know who the Eternals are because it is a very niche comic book audience that have lapped up the stories that Jack Kirby brought to life and other great writers, including Neil Gaiman, have delved into over time. It spans several, several millennia and it features a group of immortal heroes who've been hiding for centuries, maybe even thousands of years after guiding humanity on its evolutionary journey through the ages a dark presence mankind's oldest enemy the deviants has now returned and the eternals must step out of the shadows and reveal themselves and the cast richard madden Gemma chan kulayal nanjiani lauren ridloff brian tyree henry star as well as salma hayek's in there kit harrington angelina jolie and that trailer was just like you say it was a teaser this is the kind of trailers that are there for people like me and yourself, who've read yeah. the comics, and we we wanted to be sure that they were going down the right route. We've watched it. We go, yeah, we're fine with that. Give everyone else the, the more fun trailer now. Yeah, the one that spells it out a little bit more. I've seen people, like you said, who've been negative about it, but I've seen people who've been negative about it. It's like, who are these characters? We don't know them. Blah, blah, blah. Why, why are you doing this? Remember Guardians of the Galaxy? That little film that came out of nowhere that was going to ruin yeah. the Mar- Marvel streak back in the day. Just because you don't recognise the characters doesn't mean you are not going to enjoy the characters. This looks like it could be magnificent and it could be something different. People have clamoured for the past few years for something different from Marvel and said that they're fed up of the Marvel formula. This might be breaking the formula. Let's embrace it. Absolutely. Here, here. Now, are you as excited as I am about the return of Highlander? Yeah, well, we both got a bit giddy. I mean, Highlander was our first ever deep dive way back. It would have been last March. Was it last March? <laughs> Blimey, Charlie. Yeah, I am excited for, for Highlander. I think it was, it was uh, if it all plays out, and of course, this is early days, uh, the casting and the director news was pretty, pretty spot on. Henry Cavill has apparently, I don't know if he's signed on to it, but he's certainly expressed an interest. He's posted out from his own Instagram account. Oh, right. So he's now on. Which is basically confirmed that he's on board. Yeah. Which is a great bit of casting. I'm glad they went for somebody either Scottish or English. Uh, And and no, taking nothing away from Christopher Lambert, he was French and did struggle with a Scottish accent. I'm interested to see what some of the other uh, casting is. Are they going to do a kind of a direct remake and have the Kurgan, are they going to have uh, the Sean Connery um, Spaniard, <laughs> still makes me smile, uh, Ramirez character in, you know, I did a little bit of fan casting in my head, we talked about it, I think they could go somewhere really, really different with the Kurgan, they could all, you know, uh, and, and actually get a, a Spanish actor in, Antonio Banderas would make a great uh, Ramirez, in, and I'm saying it now, don't think it'll happen, oh, definitely. but that, that would be my my fan cast. And, um, but yeah, and, and who's directing it, Andy? Chad Stahelski, who um, he's responsible for oh some small action films with uh, Keanu Reeves called the John Wick films. I'm not sure if people have heard of them. They were a bit <laughs> niche and under the radar. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a guy who knows how to direct action. He's got great style and visual approach to making films. So I think he's a great choice to be able to do this film because as much as we love the Highlander film, and if you want to know how much we love it, search back through our old episodes and have a listen to our deep dive on it. We both acknowledge that it was a bit chunky around the edges, but we have a chance to regenerate the franchise and give it some new life. Like you say, there's no details on who who 
Cavill has been cast as, whether it's going to be a direct reboot with him playing Connor McLeod or whether they're going to create new characters in the whole framework of the already established law. Because the law of Highlander spanned across multiple films, TV series, and even animated shows. Yes, so all of the background material is there that they can just build upon or they could just go, let's go for a fresh approach. Anyone who doubts Cavill's approach for this kind of material, if you've not watched the Witcher TV series, he can use a sword. Seriously, this guy will be able to cut anyone's head off. And he's that charismatic leading man. And you know what? He's now in search of a new franchise. So this is potentially that new franchise. I've got a little bit of news and I don't know quite how I feel about it. Okay. So it's been announced this week that Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Midler and Kathy Najimy have officially signed on for Hocus Pocus 2, which is, uh, we've known that Disney for some years have been thinking about doing a Hocus Pocus 2. The original came out in 1993, so this is this is a long way. This kind of strikes me as one of those deals where it's an executive's idea rather than what an audience wants. They think they want a, a sequel to Hocus Pocus because it, it's become a family favourite, but these, these actresses have, have, you know, aren't spring chickens anymore. And I'm trying to be as polite as possible, but it has uh, aging will have happened. And I don't think the amount of special effects are going to be able to take away from, from the fact that these characters are now a lot older. But as we said many times on the show, let's not judge it until we've seen it. I'm not particularly bothered. I thought Hocus Pocus was, was fun and there are some enjoyable elements to it. But ultimately, I just think it's an okay movie. But I know some people... Some people absolutely are uh, beloved of this title. It's a bit of a strange one, that, because no one spoke about Hocus Pocus for years. And then literally within the past three years, everyone has suddenly become a huge lifetime fan of it. And I don't remember people actually being that bothered with the film when it came out. So I don't know where this sudden fandoms come from, but it's got a huge following. I'm like you. I don't get it. I think it's okay. I don't get the overly eccentric love that people have for it. But does it need a sequel? No. If it did, do we need the original cast back? No. If you are going to sequelize it, why not bring in a whole new whole new team, whole new cast and do it that way? Anyway, but on the subject, on the subject of actors reprising roles from something almost 30 years ago, Kevin Bacon is still keen on doing that revival of Tremors. And it's the only film from his own oh, catalogue that he actively wants to make a sequel to. In recent years, he's, he's revealed he has spoken with Bloomhouse about a reboot or revival of it. In his words, we were around the 25-year anniversary. I went to Blumhouse and they were totally into the idea. Universal didn't want to remake it as a feature and also because it didn't work as a feature the first time. So he put it aside and then he came back to me and said, what would you think about doing it as a series? And that led to that pilot that never got off the ground. There's a trailer of it online that I've direct, I always direct people to go and check out. Kevin Bacon was back for it, but the pilot was never picked up and the show was never made. And as he said, it was a one it was one film of mine that I always wanted to revisit that character. I don't look back at all. I would still love to do it, believe me. Maybe it needs to be on the 30th anniversary or the 35th. We'll keep going. He is actively pressing for this to go ahead because he has been approaching filmmakers to say, I want to get back to this. And the the unfortunate thing is, the Tremors franchise, as beloved as it is, never never was a huge hit. It was always a cult following. But 
if we can get even just a Netflix production to revert, revive it and get Kev back, because if he's keen to do it, I'm keen to see it. It's a great film. It is. We, we spoke about it uh, very kindly on this show. Uh, and talking of Kevin Bacon, he's expressed an interest in appearing in Guardians of the Galaxy 4. Now, this kind of thing, not that I have a problem with Kevin Bacon, he's somebody I think is probably one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, but it's one of these questions that usually turn up at press conferences. Would you like to star in a Marvel movie? <laughs> and, yeah. and of course, the poor actor or actress who's there will go, yeah, sure. Who would you like to play, says uh, nerdy uh, reporter. Now, I don't know. I'd, have a, I'd love a chance of playing Spider-Man because maybe that's the only character that they've heard of. So um, I don't know if this was the case with Kevin Bacon, but he has expressed an interest because he's been name-checked throughout the series. I think it would be quite cool, in all honesty. I mean, to be honest, from his own personal point of view, there's clearly some actors and actresses in the Guardians films that he's not worked with. And we know that he likes to work with everyone so he can fulfil his own degrees of Kevin Bacon game. So <laughs> it's to fill you those know what? I can get to Kevin Bacon in, in, in Seven as well. I'll, I'll tell you one day how. But yeah, I can get to Kevin Bacon. Oh, I'll, I'll look forward to finding out about that one. Let's move on to a bit of DC news. And this is where I'm going to talk about Rock the Dwayne Johnson, like I said I was going to earlier. Oh, yeah, nicely, nicely brought back. So in DC news of DC throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks, Rock the Dwayne Johnson has been cast as the voice of Crypto the Superdog for the DC League of Super Pets animated movie for Warner Brothers. Who'd have thought we'd be at a time where Crypto the Superdog was going to get an outing on film before we get to see another Superman outing? I don't know. These are the days we live in, Andy. These are the days. These are strange times, man. Uh, The story sees Superman's dog team up with a flying cat when the big S is on holiday. Jared Stern is writing and directing, and Sam Levine is co-directing alongside him and strangely i'm quite excited for this and i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) there was a a a crypto kid series a few years back if i remember i never saw it but there definitely was do you know the the name of said super cat i don't know it is in fact streaky the super cat and he (laughs) is uh supergirl's cat the things you find out on this show (laughs) so that's crypto and streaky coming to a cinema near you before we get to see another (laughs) superman on the big screen and sticking with dc Production is due to start on Aquaman 2 this summer, and Jason Momoa has revealed that he actually had input into the story and co-wrote the story treatment. As he said, after we ended the first one, I went in with my writing partner and we dreamed up the second one. And we went in and pitched the idea. The best thing I can give you is that I love it so much that I participated in the writing of it. Um, James Wan has teased that the film is going to be more serious in tone than the very comic book heavy first film was. And it's, it's also going to tap into some more horror aspects, uh, making it a darker approach. I'm hoping they don't lose all of that comic book feel because I know that not many people agree with me, but I loved Aquaman for the fact that it was just pure comic book entertainment from start to finish. It was nonsense. It was silly. It knew what it was. Uh, Yes, I want them to step away from being so stupidly comic book, but I don't want them to go into, well, dare I say it, Snyder-esque territory. Yeah, I agree with you. I went back to it. I saw it the first time and, and didn't really, didn't really dig it. I tried and I should have liked it. There's a lot of elements that I thought, were pretty good. I thought visually it was it was stunning looking. I don't know. It just didn't land for me at all. I'm hoping that Aquaman two is the Aquaman film. That it's not that I have a, a version in my head which sometimes can sort of let you down, as is my worry with Shang Chi. But it just didn't. It just didn't excite me. So maybe Aquaman two is is my entry point. We'll wait and see. I've got a bit of a kind of comic news for you. 
Adam Wingard, okay. who is kind of hot stuff at the moment, off coming off uh, Godzilla versus Kong, has already talked about doing a Thundercats adaptation, which we've mentioned on the show. He's to adapt a Robert Kirkman comic title called Hardcore. I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with this particular title. Andy, it mean anything to you? Yeah, I've caught a couple of issues of it, and it's one of them that I want to collect the volumes of because it was quite intriguing a sci-fi thriller which follows a soldier's journey as he saves the world without getting his hands dirty kirkman has penned the outline for the film version as well so it's very much going to be his baby at the same time as wingard who is co-writing alongside will simmon and is going to direct it i'm excited i think it's great that it's not all going to be about marvel and dc going forward and the image are trying to step into there and i think being a kirkman idea gives it a bit of an extra name because other image or other titles from other comic book studios that have made it to the big screen have lacked that name behind them for the recognition. Kirkman's his own recognition now, isn't he, really? He's as recognised for his work as, say, well, could you say, Stanley, maybe not that important. Maybe not that much. But you can relate the two, put the two together. Yeah, I mean, especially with recent, over recent months when people have suddenly been enthused about the other Kirkman super comic book material, Invincible, that made animated form on Amazon and is getting a big screen outing as well. So Kirkman is basically becoming a modern day comic mastermind, basically. Uh, So that's one that I've got my eye on. I'm very excited for anything comic book coming to the big screen. Now, actress Amber Midthunder, who some of us remember from Legion, the excellent X-Men-esque TV series that was sadly cancelled before its time, has signed on for the lead role in a film called Schools from filmmaker Dan Trachtenberg, which will see a Comanche woman go against gender norms and traditions to become a warrior. Oh, and it's a Predator film. Did I forget to mention it was a Predator film? Yes, so (laughs) Schools is a Predator's film. Yes, that Predator franchise is getting rebooted with this new film that is being reported to be a mostly dialogue-free wilderness set one-on-one thriller, which sounds like exactly what the franchise needs. Well, we reported when we did our Predator deep dive that Tranchenberg was working on a Predator film. But it seems as though this is a long way or much further down the line than we anticipated when we talked about it back then. In the past attempts at bringing Predator back to life, they've made the mistake of, well, they've made the mistake of being under 20th Century Fox's regime where they interfere with it, production, and it all falls apart. Even when they got Shane Black to come in and do something which should have been beautifully Shane Black. It didn't feel like a Shane Black film. I'm hopeful that now the creators will be given a bit more creative freedom and allowed to do their own thing. And there's so many potential stories within the Predator franchise. This sounds like an interesting new yet slightly familiar take. Looking forward to it. And he also, of course, the director delivered that fine, very fine Cloverfield movie, the Clover, oh. Cloverfield Lane, which we we both saw, both thought was rather fantastic. It's in good hands, fingers crossed. Um, for other things of bringing a franchise back to life, and this is one that I'm not completely sold on yet, but I'm not opposed to. The younger version of Willy Wonka for the proposed prequel film Wonka has been cast, and it's Timothy Chalamet who's now going to be playing the chocolatier before he became a famous chocolatier. Now, we heard about this in the works some time back. uh, And, you know, we give it the benefit of the doubt here on this show. It's not the film that I think everybody was was waiting for. Timothy Chalamet's got a really interesting look. I mean, we're going to see him next as Paul Artades in, in June. What's more interesting for me about this film 
is the director. Now, it's sad that he's not gone back to do a number three of this particular much-loved franchise, but Paul King, who previously brought us Paddington and the lovely Paddington 2, is directing this, and that's the reason I'm kind of up for this now. Yeah, that's that's my reason for not going, yeah, but Tim Burton already did an origin story for Wonka. We don't need it. The fact that Paul King's involved was the turning point for me to go... Actually, I'm interested. And the fact that he's also writing it alongside Simon Farnaby, who co-wrote Paddington 2 with him, that's it. I'm in. I'm interested to see what take they can do for a film that's going to be a musical. It will embrace the musical aspects and it will be a fun, adventurous journey into the origins of Willy Wonka. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Mainly, I think it's good casting. Don't get me wrong. I do think it's interesting and pretty good casting. But I am up for it because of... Uh, Paul King helming it. So we've been talking about this for the last few weeks and every time we've had uh, a scoop on it, we've let you know. And that's the Knives Out sequel, so far only called Knives Out 2. Last week we mentioned that Agatha, in fact, hasn't done it yet, (laughs) but Kate Hudson has now joined the ever-expanding cast for the Knives Out sequel. Yeah, it's going to become a a weekly bulletin thing, this one, where we just add another name onto the list each week. Uh, There's no further news. We still don't know what the murder mystery is going to be, exactly where it's going to be set, etc. All that we know is that the cast is padding out beautifully. For those who've not been paying attention, Kate Hudson is now alongside Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, and um, that guy who plays James Bond, what's his name? Uh, Daniel something. (laughs) Well, it's almost like we talked about Henry Cavill. He's going to be looking for a new franchise pretty soon. Have you heard the thinking? I know this is TV news and we are known as the film file, but we're non-exclusive. New Batman animated series coming from J.J. Abrahams, Matt Reeves, and most importantly, Bruce Timm, who brought us probably the finest Batman interpretation that we've ever seen in what's known affectionately as Batman the Animated Series. Yes, uh, J.J. Abrams being involved. Yeah, okay, as a producer, I'm fine with that. Matt Reeves, okay, you're playing with Batman at the moment. I'm interested to see what you can do with an animated show. But as soon as that final name was added, it was like, oh, I'm in. I am so in. Uh, I see that the stylings are very old school, classic Batman as well on the released artwork so far. So it's proper drawn me to this. And as much as... It's easy. And I've said it myself that there's too much reliance on Batman and Batman saturates everything. When it comes to animated, I'm more than happy to see a new spin on Batman's animated adventures. Like you say, the Batman animated series, as it's affectionately known from the 90s, is what most people embrace and love the most out of all the Batman lore. If we can tap into some of that, oh, it's going to be a great, great treat. Okay, so before we leave the news, sadly, we've got to report the the loss of one of, well, one of my all-time favourite actors. He was one of my favourite actors before I knew what a favourite actor was. Uh, I've loved him in almost everything that he's been in. No, strike that. I've loved him despite some of the things he's been in because he's always (laughs) been absolutely fabulous. Just always delivered a a classic style uh, with a certain strange dourness to it, which made it more appealing. Of course, we're talking about the sad loss of Charles Grodin, who passed away last week. It was just after we recorded the show, so we didn't get a chance to uh, eulogise him, really. But it is a sad loss. He's been, he was in one of my all-time, all-time favourite movies, Midnight Run. 
And I, I grew up with him in, in films like Catch-22, Warren Beatty's masterful remake of, of the Evan Can Wait movie. He, he just... He just he epitomised sort of that 70s actor where it wasn't about being a good-looking leading man. It was about the, the characterization that you brought to it. And if you ever signed on Charles Grodin onto your cast, then suddenly, for me, the casting became more interesting all the time. It would be sadly lost. The guy was in that 1970s King Kong remake, uh, but we don't hold that against him. But then again, Andy, that's what made it great. That, having Charles Grodin in it, it suddenly made it a better film. As a child growing up, I recognised his face as he popped up in support roles in films like The Great Muppet Caper, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, The Woman in Red, Heartbreak Kid, and in past few decades he caught the attention of a new generation of kids via the beethoven films of course yeah i never thought about those so he's, he's managed to tap into multiple generations with a very familiar and recognizable face and he was known for his droll humor and the cranky characters that he played it's a sad loss age 86 passed away and uh it's another one to pay tribute to by going and watching some of the films of his back catalogue that you've never seen we thoroughly recommend Midnight Run. Uh, yeah, highly recommend Midnight Run. If you can find it, heaven can wait because it, it's a it's a simply beautiful film and a, a little Steve Martin film that he was in that never got much recognition called Lonely Guy, which he, again he's fantastic in. Of course, he was in Ro Rosemary's Baby as well. So what a uh, what a career! What a great great actor! And that is the news. <laughs> You're listening to The Film File right here on No Barriers Radio. And did you know, film fans, that you can hear an extended version of this show? Yes, do you say? Can I? Yes, you can. By simply going to your favourite podcast platform where you can download, well, almost in excess of 70 episodes of The Film File. What a way to spend a weekend. Your headphones will never leave your body. So all you have to do, head over to your favourite podcast platform Find the film file, subscribe, and there you go. We'll never, ever, ever leave you. Ever. Enjoying the show? If you're a big fan of the show, please hit that subscribe button. Because every time you hit that subscribe button, iTunes buys a little bit of your soul. If you want to know more about the show or simply get in touch, find out more about the guys behind it, you can do so at... Over on Twitter, follow us at Filmfile UK. On Instagram, Filmfile UK to which I must apologise to anyone who follows us on Instagram for the picture of me with the Eurovision moniker above me at the weekend. I get very excited that time of year. Or you can email us, podcast at filmfile.uk. No, seriously, I love Eurovision. I, I, must, I must state that right now. I absolutely adore I know Eurovision. you did. I was so surprised. <laughs> I have watched it every year for the past few decades. It's a great night. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's let's get back to films, shall we? Yes, indeed. So hopefully in a week or so, we will be going back into the cinema and bringing you a review. But in the meantime, we're going to give you another deep dive. This week's deep dive that we are queuing up is a romantic comedy of sorts. To every middle-aged man, this film is probably so important because it's an aspect of our life. It's the John Cusack starring Stephen Frears, 2000 film high fidelity rob gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following i used to go to the double door to hear you spin you were unbelievable but when it comes to dating hi hi this is penny hardwood hi caroline he's still searching for the right woman what's your name laura 
now his search may have ended. She does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. <laughs> but his problems just started. And I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What Ian guy? You gotta be kidding me. Touchstone Pictures die. presents. How's Ian? He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something. High Fidelity came out in 2000 and could be classed as a romantic comedy drama. Directed by British director Stephen Frears, it starred John Cusack, Ivan Ashley, a very young Jack Black and Lisa Bonet. And it was based on the 1995 British novel of the same name by author Nick Hornby. Many were surprised that the film was transplanted from London into Chicago. However, the film works beautifully because what it doesn't do is it doesn't lose the essence of the story. And this was John Cusack, and it's probably his most charming. For anybody who grew up with John Cusack through films like Say Anything, you know that he could turn it on, and he certainly does in this film. One of my favourites with a great soundtrack based on a great book. This is one of those that hits the right groove all the time. Cusack as Rob Gordon, the music lover who owns a record shop, is engaging us, the audience, with his fourth wall-breaking moments because we meet him just as he's going through a breakup and thus begins an exploration into his top five breakups, which involves him tracking them down to try to find resolution to all his disastrous relationships. All of this is interrelated with the day-to-day activities of the record store he works in with his employees, Dick, played by Todd Luiso, and Barry, Jack Black, and also his encounters with a local musician, Lisa Bonet, as Marie Dassel, and as well as various other characters who frequent the record shop. It's comical, it's engaging, and Cusack is on his finest form. I, I know that he's done some great outings throughout his career, but this is the pinnacle for me of Cusack's utter engaging charm. The film itself is snappy, engaging. It definitely aided immensely by everyone involved. Jack Black had had many support roles up until this, but this was the film that put him on the radar and indeed saw him then become a leading man status for the early part of the century with a a wild array of zany, wacky characters. It was Jack Black's energy in this film that initially grabbed me when I first saw it, as much as I enjoyed John Cusack, but it's over re-watching it, it's Cusack who has completely took the lead. And maybe that's part of, as I've got older, I've related more and more, like you said at the start of it to the fact it's approaching a midlife crisis kind of a man and I start to recognize the looking back and reflecting on mistakes that you may have made and opportunities you may have missed whilst being obsessed with collecting vinyl records or other memorabilia. One of the ways that this film really really lands is the fact that they're not afraid by moving it from London to Chicago, which works really, really well in the film, but they keep the essence of the Rob Gordon character in place at all times. He feels like the Rob Gordon from the book, and that's something that Cusack recognised and has a real affinity to the book that he brought to the film. He worked on the script, he brought in his usual producing partners to to, uh, to helm the film. Mike Newell was originally slated to direct with a script by Con Air scriptwriter, Uh, Scott Rosenberg, but when he got involved, when Cusack got involved, he turned it into, he's almost his joint, and that shows there's a a love affair 
with the book that, that transfers beautifully to the screen in the screen version. And for, for people our age, and I'm not going to say how old we are, the idea of record shops <laughs> being this, this holy place and having your albums in alphabetical order or genre order, <laughs> it, it just spoke to me. When I read the book the first time, I, I recognized so many elements of not only myself, but, but mates as well. I, I like Cusack, saw myself in Rob Gordon. And it has that uniquely universal appear to guys or certain guys of a certain age, in the same way to some extent that um, Nick Hornby's book about football spoke to friends of mine who were into football and, and recognised those characters. It works in a way that it's vibrant. It feels honest. The, the breaking of the fourth wall reminds me a little bit of, of Alfie, Michael Caine's movie. But I just think there's there's just a charm to it that makes it as all good romantic comedies are all good films be makes it kind of timeless i think the anything that dates it is the ideas of record shops with the rewatch this week i did pick up some small issues with the film and it's more because the era that we're living in has opened our eyes to quite a few things the character of rob has become slightly more well shall we say self-centered and a bit of a dick when you look at it in fresh eyes these days. His attitudes towards his staff, his disregard for any attempts at friendship, and his insistence that all his past issues are because other people are against him. The worst example being when he's tracking down the exes to resolve things. There's the one who wouldn't put out, and he expresses his anger in a question to her as to why she did for her next boyfriend after him. And as she recounts how she never wanted to, but it wasn't actually rape, but he basically takes that as a win and more or less cheers. And it's like, oh... It left me feeling a bit uncomfortable in this day and age. But I think the important thing is we're not supposed to actually see him as a great person. We're supposed to see him as being self-absorbed, self-centered, and he doesn't realize what his actions are doing to the people around him. But over the journey of the film, he grows to realize that. And by the end of it, he, he's not a better person yet but he's taking the first steps to become a better person. This is about acknowledging your past mistakes are possibly your past mistakes and no one else's fault but your own. I, I, I totally agree with you. That was a take that I hadn't taken from the film up until this most recent rewatch. I, I'll totally agree with you on that, Andy. And I think that's the interesting thing about Rob Gordon. And that's why we appreciated the character and liked him at the time. We were more like Rob Gordon than we were some other leading man. We have all those flaws. As a, as a guy and going through dating, We've made some serious mistakes. I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about us as a gender who grew up in that period. But it, why it really, really works is that he's fallible, but he's got all the loves that we've all got. He makes a list about the, the kind of music he, he, he loves. He has mixtapes. It's that was us. And we've all been to, to quote your term, we've all been dicks at some time. Uh, you can't mention this film without mentioning the glorious soundtrack. The music, it's set in a record store, so obviously it was going to have some amazing needle drops. And boy, this is a soundtrack that I still listen to a lot of the artists today. And indeed, it introduced me to a few artists. You've got Stiff Little Fingers are in there, Katrina and the Waves. But this film introduced me to the Beta Band. Thanks, amusingly, to the I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the Beta Band line. Which, yep, as soon as that film finished, when I first watched it on the big screen... I went out and I tracked down a copy of the three EPs by the Beta Band because Dry the Rain was such a track. And I was I was listening to it earlier this week before I watched this. 
And then I watched this and I've listened to a load more beta bands since because it reminded me how much I was drawn to that band purely because of a film. And that is perfect placement of music to be able to sell me a whole band that I'd never encountered. Absolutely marvellous. The music fits every aspect of the film from start to finish. You, you've hit a good point because I think what the film really reflects is this is the character's music choices. You know, Rob, Dick and Barry, they were musical elite. They were snobs. And that shows in, in the choices of some of the bands on there. 13 Floor Elevators were on there. Uh, Love, Bob Dylan, the Beta Band, as you said, Elvis Costello. Uh, Stereo Lab was a band that I was I was quite into at the time. Velvet Underground. These are again the the mu- This this is the soundtrack that that my friends were listening to. I was always a bit more rocky, but you know, at that point when indie was uh, again at its height, it was the perfect soundtrack. It's it's just a, a a hugely enjoyable film. But yes, it's about the era that it was made. But there are so many elements which is we recognize ourselves as guys, and in, I still do. I still have my cds in alphabetical order i still have things in genre (laughs) like my blu-rays and my games everything is kind of that guy thing of having them laid out in a certain way i felt it was about me i felt it was it was my story on screen and i've made those dick moves and you know and i've learned from it as well i i really really love this film because it feels like a slice of my life in recent years the story has been readapted for a very short-lived gender-swapped TV series for Hulu, which is available in the UK on Stars on Amazon, which saw Zoe Kravitz play Rob, Kravitz being the daughter of Lisa Bonet, who was in the first film. The series switched around a few of the characters, but played the same approach. Rob is bad in relationships, just gone through a breakup. The first few episodes play very close to the film, primarily because both play very close to the book. And so initially, some moments felt like carbon copies. But then, halfway through the season, It did that thing where it starts taking side journeys and explores side characters more. One of the employees of the shop, Simon, has a whole episode devoted to his top five breakups. And Kravitz is magnificently engaging in the series with half hour episodes that zip by again with an eclectic range of music cues and a strong cast to keep it enticing. The show brought the tale up to date. The record shop is still a record shop because vinyl's back in, baby. But it builds playlists on Spotify as opposed to mixtapes being subtly introduced. The character of Rob is not as self-centered as the Cusack version. More a damaged, insecure and very flawed person trying to get her life in gear. Sadly, the show got cancelled after one season, despite very strong critical acclaim, and all involved were hopeful for a chance to move into some new territory. Kravitz, as star and producer, is still very passionate about getting a second season through another network or something else. I only discovered the series literally over the past week. I watched the film High Fidelity and I thought, okay, let's see how the series compares. And I found that I loved it so much that it took me two days and I went through the whole season. It's a marvellous modern adaptation of it, but it never steps on the toes of the original film. It complements it beautifully by taking a slightly different approach on some of the aspects. Thoroughly recommend checking out both the film and the TV series to really see what can be done with this story. So much fun, great music, great cast across both, and so much hilarity. You can't forget the standout comedy moments you can't forget more than anything else that Tim Robbins in his brief little role. Yes. Yes. I forgot about Tim Robbins being in it. (laughs) 
as the the upstairs neighbor who is dating Rob's ex. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant film, brilliant series. Get on them. Fantastic. That's High Fidelity. You can find it, I believe, on Stars on Disney+. Plus. Yes, you can. Okay, so we've got some films to review for you that have hit the streaming services over the last couple of weeks. And of course, you can't ignore, because it's dominated Netflix opening this weekend, and that was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Is it going to be a walker or... Is Andy going to renew his love affair and his vows in a Vegas chapel with Zack Snyder? What the? Oh, you don't know what it's like in there. Not anymore. They're not what you think they are. The Alphas. They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. Spread out of your nightmares. Andy, what did you think to Army of the Dead? Initially, I was utterly horrified with what I was seeing. I thought my TV was broken because there's um, dead pixels that affect the 4K versions of this getting shown not as noticeable on 2k sets or standard copies so if you've not got a 4k set you should be fine but i thought my tv was broken and i went online i was like ah dead pixels army of the dead and found a wave of people reporting exactly the same issue so after that brief terror i got to watch the film so the first impression was that it's very apparent that Zack snyder has seen aliens maybe one too many times because this film yes. is effectively a zombie remake. The comparison remake. is really obvious, isn't it? It's a, it's a zombie remake of that film. Or let's be let's be kind and say it's a homage. It's a homage to that film. And there's a few other movie referencing nods scattered throughout. Within the first five minutes, there's an American werewolf in London nod with two soldiers wandering across a desert, the moors. And even the point of view angles are American werewolf in London with the first attack of the werewolf. Pretty certain on that one. I found that the film was moderately entertaining, albeit a bit bloated. The generic character archetypes didn't bother me so much, nor did the overly derivative nature of the story. The visual stylings were what let it down for me, and that came as a huge surprise. Is that because it's become Zack Snyder's signature now? Yeah. I, uh, I, and I agree with you. And I, I just wondered if that's because we, we're so familiar with that particular, Snyder, uh, particular Snyder style. It's more that he took a slightly different style now. It's important to note that despite my overall feel of recent Snyder output, I've never faulted his films visually. I've always said he makes gorgeous looking films and that each frame of his films can be put mounted on a wall as a portrait until now because he's got strange, bizarre, soft focus choices and the style seems somewhat off. And it's almost as distracting as that pixel issue that I mentioned earlier on. Hashtag release the fixed pixel cut, please. <laughs> can we get that started, please? Can we? <laughs> oh, I have. I, I did that, and a few more people have already followed it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, interestingly, this is the first full feature which Zach has made with digital cameras because he's always been filming on film stock pre prior to now. And he also sought out very old 70s lens styles to use. And by switching from film stock, whilst also deciding to be creative in his lensing, and he was his own director of photography on this film, he seems to have lost some of his usually crisp, almost portrait-like style. And for me... That's a bit of a shame 
because there was moments in this film that everything was just so out of focus that I just thought, I could just be watching anything. This doesn't feel like it's got a stamp of a particular director on it anymore. I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you that it was uh, derivative at best <laughs> uh, with hints of Escape from New York, uh, with hints, of, as you said, of Aliens, and even the, the, the Train to Busan sequel, Peninsula. I did enjoy it. I thought it was incredibly overlong. I, I don't know what it is with Zack Snyder. Can't make a film with it. <laughs> he has to go back and add, keep adding footage in, which is done with you know uh, other films. But it, it felt it felt bloated. Uh, at two and a half hours, it it could have easily have lost half an hour. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was a good fun romp. Mm. I do like a good zombie movie, and I, I like the fact that they did something unique and different with the zombies because we've we've been in this territory so many times. That, that you can keep adding to the to the mythos every time, and I and I did like that element. It kind of reminded me of of the book of I Am Legend of how the the vampires progressed uh, within that. I thought it was fun. I thought it I thought it was bloated. I thought it was a, a good romp. It combined a couple of elements that I really like. I do like uh, putting the crew together for a heist movie, which is the the first half of the movie. But it did, does now make me think of Rick and Morty. Uh, and I like a good zombie movie. And at, and at times when Snyder kind of lets himself, allows himself to have fun with it, that was the peaks for me. That's what I enjoyed. It clearly is his new universe. Uh, and, and Netflix are invested in this because we know they're getting a, a prequel, an animated prequel. And we know that it's, and, and no spoiler, that it, it leads into uh, a, a sequel right at the end. I thought Dave Bautista was great. He's, he's got a good screen presence. I love the uh, the replacement character of Tigna Nataro, yeah. uh, whose late addition meant that she didn't actually film with any of the other characters <laughs> and uh, uh, cost a small fortune for replacement of an actor, which we'll, we won't go into here. I think we've mentioned it at other times. I thought it was enjoyable, fun. Uh, I know we've been looking forward to it for some weeks. I still think his best zombie movie is in the past, and I think his Dawn of the Dead remake yeah. just is, is one of the best remakes uh, that, that's out there. But when the bullets started flying and zombies exploded, it felt like Snyder was in, in firm territory of what he does. It's got the best and worst of Snyder every time. It's excessive, it's overlong, but it's got zombies and it's got men on a mission. It's a fun diversion of a film yeah, with a handful yeah. of problems. I'm still intrigued in this world setting enough for the reported other tales, the prequels, etc. Especially due to a couple of blink-and-you-miss-it sci-fi Easter eggs of alien spaceships, robot zombies, and time potential time travel. And I'm glad to see Zack move away from DC and be given this creative freedom to play with his own battlefield. It isn't a game-changer at this point in time for the genre, but I think it's a good step for him to build upon this world setting. It's a film that I will go back and rewatch, even though it was long and it could have lost half an hour. I'd never felt bored by any point of it. I just I was noticing that it was long, but I didn't feel distracted by it being long, if you get what I'm saying. I did, yeah. So what else have you got, Andy? <laughs> so we're not talking about streaming for the next one. We're talking about actual cinema screen. Yes. Oh, get you, sir. Get you. I am the first of the two of us to venture back into a cinema screen, which is possibly because I work at a cinema. But um, I got to see Spiral from the Book of Saw. You're going to throw up. Don't do it on the evidence. Play me. Jigsaw copycat. This is going to go sideways fast. Get everybody out of here. 
the reason for all of this. They're targeting cops. You want to play games? Hello, Detective Banks. Spiral from the Book of Saw. Okay, try and win me over with this one, Andy, because I'm not a huge fan of Saw. I thought the first one was intriguing, but as it went on, uh, I lost interest. I'm not a big torture fan. Am I going to enjoy? And I know Chris Rock has been heavily involved in this, so much so that his name's on the script. Am I going to enjoy The Book of Saw? Uh, I'm not going to win you over with my opinion on this film. I loved the first Saw film. I thought that the next few were okay, and then it rapidly descended down into the dross of society, as far as I'm concerned. And Spiral has made those last few films seem a lot better in comparison. It's an attempt to spin off another franchise, hinting at the world of Saw, but not directly connected to it. Despite that, it name drops Jigsaw throughout this and makes it clear that it's definitely part of the same universe. This film opens with a black screen and complete silence before a jump scare bang of a firework exploding. And then it attempts another firework-related jump scare a mere minute later. And at that point, I knew pretty much that's the only trick that they have from the How to Make a Dumb Horror playbook. Throw in typical but very uninspired torture devices, and yep, it's exactly the same. Chris Rock is a detective who turned in some corrupt cops in the past. And so has the rest of the force kind of against him because, you know, you turn in the corrupt cops and even the good cops don't like you anymore because they don't trust you. Into that, the murderer of a new a new serial killer inspired by the Jigsaw Killer steps into the front and he seems to be picking targets who are corrupt cops. And he's sending messages to Chris Rock's character for him to try to decipher and work out who he is. Stop me if I've heard this plot before. You've, you've heard everything of this I was, all, I was thinking of Seven, to be honest. Oh, yeah. The, it, there's a lot of similarities with Seven. But there was always similarities between Saw and Seven anyway. The first Saw film and Seven are thematically the same kind of film. This film taps more into that Seven aspect, but it's so there's so much wrong with it. Chris Rock is woefully misplaced. His first moments on screen have him delivering what amounts to a standard Chris Rock stand-up routine. And this is what... When we spoke about the Lethal Weapon series and we spoke about Lethal Weapon 4 and Chris Rock was in that, and I said that the problem is he's just playing Chris Rock in the Lethal Weapon films. That's what I felt on this opening scene with him, that he was just playing Chris Rock. And it felt completely rehearsed and out of place for the moment. For the rest of the film, he just scowls a lot and his his witty nature that we saw in that opening scene has gone. So it, it just didn't deserve to be there. The plot is generic, predictable. The twists and reveals are not as clever as they think they are. And the pacing plods along without any real drive. And it isn't helped by bizarre oversights and scenes. The opening death that we're introduced to at the beginning sees a a body hit at high speed by an underground train. And curiously, when they get to the crime scene afterwards, the body is all piled into one location rather than scattered all along the tracks for where the train was like running. It just dropped straight down right next to where it was hanging. And at at that point, I was like, so you couldn't even be bothered to think about how this would have worked. Why should I care about how these people are dying? And you don't care about the people who are dying. And that's the biggest problem in any horror. If you don't care about who the people are who are getting attacked, then there's going to be no sense of dread, no impending doom, no chilling edge. It's just special effects, gore splats, jump scares, pig's heads and that's not horror a tense plot with characters you care about helps without that the other tricks are just horror tropes 
without reason. This is not the way that they should be going. If they had have gone more seven approach and made it less about the gore splatter and the torture devices, this could have worked. If they had got someone in the lead role other than Chris Rock, this could have worked. If they had got a better writer, this could have worked. As it stands, you have to be a huge, huge fan of all the Saw franchise to even scratch anything out of this film. That's it, Andy. You've taught me out of it. Though the fact is, I was never into it. However, let me just say, on the positive side, despite the fact that I spent 90 minutes being tortured by a bad film, it was in a cinema screen. And that experience ah, was that that moved me. Sitting in a screen again after all this time made it kind of worthwhile watching a bad film. I didn't regret sitting in there. I would if I watched it again now but I didn't regret sitting through a bad film because I was enjoying the experience so much. Preach it, brother. Preach it. So that's the reviews for this week. Now, normally this is the point where I go through all of what's coming on the streaming services this week, but cinemas are back open. So I'm going to name drop a few films that you can see at your local multiplex this coming week that we've got our eye on. First of all, Cruella, which is also getting a Disney Plus premium release is going to cinemas this weekend. It's going to be a great treat for families over the weekend, although it has been reported to have some darker elements, so maybe not take the really, really younguns. It does look very cool. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, was also released in the ever-popular Conjuring series. I'll be there. And previews of a film that we are so looking forward to, A Quiet Place 2, land on Sunday at cinemas across the UK, Monday and then Thursday. So... A lot to get into and a lot to treat yourself and get back to the cinemas for, as well as some old films that you may have missed over the past few months. If you want to stick at home and watch on the streaming services, Netflix has just got Spider-Man Far From Home. Disney Star has another huge content drop for the Star Plus, which includes the excellent Little Miss Sunshine. If you've never seen it, treat yourself to that one. Oh, it is good. It is good. But generally, it's all about cinemas at the moment. This is where the main films are coming. Spend time for over the bank holiday weekend. Go and revisit your local cinema. Fall in love with the big screen once more. I'll be there. And that's it for this week, folks. But of course, before we go, we can only tell you about our neat things. Our neat things, you ask? Yes. Things that we've enjoyed, read, watched, played, whatever it is that's been neat, it's our neat thing. Andy, what's your neat thing for this week? So my neat thing for this week is something that I come back to every few months, and it's uh, BritBox. Now, BritBox had a bad rep when it launched because it was low on content. There was nothing really new in there. It was all about old content from BBC, which you could see on other services or from Channel 4. But recent additions, such as the Adam and Joe show, Victoria Wood has seen on TV, are great. But they've extended their range to include some West End productions, such as Jesus Christ Superstar, Billy Elliot, Miss Saigon, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Phantom of the Opera, and much more, as well as uh, Shakespeare Theatre and a plethora of arts is on there. In addition... This week sees the second original BritBox series, the first being the revival of Spitting Image. This weekend, The Beast Must Die, which stars Jared Harris, will arrive on BritBox. And this is a BritBox exclusive, and it looks really solid and gripping. I'll report back on what it's like next week, but I've had my eye on this from the tease for the past month. And it's great that the service is finally managing to put together new productions to show people what they can do 
if they're given the free reign to do it. So get on BritBox. There's a, if you've not tried it, you can get a free trial. Check it out. There's a lot on there now. There's content for pretty much every age range. And there's a lot of old familiar favorites that will make you smile. So that's my neat thing. Sounds, sounds, you know, eventually I will delve into the world of BritBox. It does sound, the fact that it's <laughs> been showing Sapphire and Steel is enough reason for me to go to it. Okay, my neat thing is an odd one this week. Um, mine is a website called Lost Media Wiki. So if you want to find this, it's lostmediawiki.com. What is Lost Media Wiki? Well, it's a it's a site, of a, it's a community basically who track down lost or hard to find media. So, for instance, I got brought onto it because someone told me about a proposed nineteen sixties film with Adam West as Batman, in which Adam West as Batman meets Godzilla, and in fact, Lorenzo Semple, who was the writer at the time, had written a treatment. This was on Lost Media Wiki. It's one of those websites that suddenly becomes a rabbit hole, that you go down it and you suddenly start to, you'll, you'll see one of the, uh, the reports of newly found media. For instance, did you know there was a new monkeys? That's right. Back in the uh, heyday of MTV, they brought back the monkeys with a, a series called The New Monkeys. And there's a link to where you can find it on YouTube. It's absolutely appalling, but I didn't know about it. There are promo albums. Uh, what really got me interested is there is uh, an unseen clip from a, a David Bowie video that never, ever happened. There's things like uh, TV commercials. Do you remember, possibly not, that there was uh, uh, interference on a sudden TV news channel which purported to be from an alien? They've got the link to the original clip of that. There are, <laughs> game, uh, there are unreleased game images. Anything that you can think of that fits into the term media and kind of geeky, then this is the, the site for you. I plan to spend five minutes looking through it. I spent an hour opening link after link after link. I've just opened it now. And there is, in fact, The Wasp Nest, a lost early BBC television adaption of an Agatha Christie short story. There is so much on this. You can spend hours on it. So my neat thing, give yourself a couple of days, is Lost Media Wiki. Well, that's more going to be andyslostsleep.com. Thank you very much for recommending that to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you once, you once you get onto it, you're there for days. You are there for days. <laughs> that's it for this week. We love doing the show. I can't do the show without the man on the other end of this, this call, Mr. Andy Meekin. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, sir. Can't wait to see you in person. Eventually, we're going to be able to sit around a table and record face-to-face -face on this. Uh, but I'm kind of enjoying this video way. It's, I've, I've got so used to this now that I'm yeah, kind it of is. enjoying it's... it. And I don't know if I want to go back to like face-to-face -face conversations. <laughs> Maybe when we sit around the table to do it, you should get like, a little cardboard box that looks like a screen and sit with your face in it. And that will make me feel more comfortable. <laughs> so before I go, Andy, so here's how not to plan a career. One, split it with a girlfriend. Two, ditch college. Three, go to work in a struggling record shop or become owner of said record shop and stay there for the rest of life. This is The Film File. I'll see you later.